Good morning. Good to see you all. I'm walking. Don't have my cane, so I uh, went and uh, checked. I went to the after-hours orthopedic uh, urgent care. You know how many cities have one of those? I, I was like, this is not Vail, Colorado. I, how, I, why does Simi have one? But I'm glad that we do. And uh, so, good news and bad news. Good news is I don't have a tear. I don't have to have surgery. The bad news is I'm just old. So. Uh, <laughs> arthritis and all that. So cortisone shot, though, is great. Uh, my wife is here. Carolyn is here, and I'd like you to meet her. This is the better half. But I, I am definitely the extrovert, and she's the introvert. She said, don't hand me a microphone. I don't want to say anything. So um, that was good. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying something out. So I really liked being down here last week. Um, so uh, you, just let me know. You think about it if you like it better down here. You know, I'm tall enough that I'm, I'd be like way up there if I... So if you have any feedback, uh, if, you have, if you like it, let me know. If you don't, uh, tell somebody else. And uh... <laughs> All right, uh, public service announcement. Never put your foot down when you're riding a four-wheel ATV. Okay, I'm talking to the right crowd. So, um, anybody ever ride four-wheel quad ATVs? And you know that, right? Never put your foot down, um, because you'll run over yourself. And uh, so, anybody ever ride a quad after having spent your entire life riding bicycles and motorcycles, where the rule is, put your foot down whenever you stop? That was me. So our family was at the Colorado River, and uh, we were, you know, having fun, and they broke out all the ATVs, and they were all four-wheel drive, and, or four wheels, and uh, so, but I, it was instinctual. I always, I put my foot down every single time, and, uh, you know, almost ran over myself, and um, a fellow named Craig was kind of taking care of me, and he knew that newbies like me could easily hurt ourselves uh, on these things. So he was going to watch out for me. And he said, Neil, don't put your foot down. And I said, okay. So we took off, and uh, we, he pulled up alongside me as we were riding. And as we pulled up to a stop, he yelled over, don't put your foot down. I put my foot down. Uh, and um, so, so we, we, we stopped. He said, Neil, listen, I have seen people break their ankles because when they put their foot down. So try this. Don't put your foot down. And then he said, hold on just a second. He got off his, and he went, uh, and he found a stick. And he came over, and he knelt down beside me, and he said, this may help. And he, he, he kind of looked at my foot, the, the, and then he looked at the stick to see if it was a... And then he said, okay, put your foot down. And as I lifted it off, he hit me as hard as he could in the ankle. And he said, don't put your foot down. And then he said, okay, put your foot down. And I said, no. And he said, lesson learned. So... And the next time I stopped, I didn't put my foot down. I remembered the stick. And I remembered Craig. And, and uh, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. But I had to really think about it. I had to consciously, actively think about not putting my foot down. But over the weekend, he stayed with me. And over time, it became a bit more natural so that by the end of it, I was, without thinking about it, unconsciously, almost instinctively, keeping my foot on the footrests when I stopped. I had spent enough time with Craig to be able to become like Craig and automatically do what Craig did. 
So why that's important to us is that what we are going to be looking at is this. We learn to be uh, with Jesus in order to become like Jesus so we can automatically do what he would do. All right, let's say that again. So we learn to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus so we can automatically do what he would do. Uh, and uh, it was like being with Craig. I was with him enough that I learned to uh, be like him so that I could do what he did and not put my foot down. And, and the reason I needed that work with him is that the world of four-wheelers is different than the world of two-wheeled motorcycles. The rules are different. How you play it is different. And the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom's of this world and how Jesus does things is different than how everybody else does it and it should not surprise us that we don't really know exactly how to do it the way Jesus does when we get started and we need to learn to be more and more like him so that it becomes more and more natural to do what he would do uh, and so learning to be able to do what he would do if he were in our situation in our circumstances that's what being a follower of Jesus means. We're discipled or we are trained to be like him, to do what he would do if he were in our situation. Um, that's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to come at it from several di uh, different directions. But first, I want to just make sure we understand, let's, let's find out, is being a follower of Jesus actually what we are supposed to do? So we're going to take a look at scripture from the book of Matthew um, and uh, this is probably familiar to you. Uh, I'm going to have you read it with me, all right? So uh, read this with me. Jesus saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You know that one. Follow me. That was his invitation to them and to us. So we are to be followers of Jesus. That's what he has invited us to do. Uh, the question is, what does it mean to be a follower? What does that actually look like? If you pick a profession, any profession really, lawyer or plumber or rocket scientist or concert pianist or artist or any sports, football, baseball, basketball, any of it, um, we see that novices connect themselves with master teachers or coaches or leaders of industry, mentors, and learn from them. And so they, they, they learn the way they do it. And, and um, so, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you were to follow Picasso and learn Picasso, what's your, your, you have a particular style of art that you're doing and you're learning it or painting and you're doing it the way he does it. Um, so that's, they are followers of that individual. Now, there's another kind of person, and we were all this other kind, where we are interested in something, but we're not rabid. We're not, you know, like, we're not giving our whole life to it. And so uh, some of us love to go to national parks. And we go somewhere like Yellowstone for a week. 
and we check it all out, and then we leave. We like it, uh, and then, but it's, it's nice. And, uh, or, or imagine going on a cruise for seven days to see an entire country. Well, you're probably not going to you know, get to see the entire country that way. What do we call people who go on trips like that? Tourists. Exactly. And if you play golf two or three times a year, you're a golf tourist. That's okay. You just enjoy it. You, get, you dust off your clubs, you get out there, and you have fun. Uh, and we're all tourists to some degree or another. And in fact, we've all been Jesus tourists. Where, where, um, and so let's talk about let's talk about the difference between followers and tourists. So, um, a friend of mine works for a company that once a year they bring their best customers to Montana for a fly fishing weekend, and it is luxurious. And they go to this amazing uh, camp and retreat and. And every morning, uh, the executives get up, and they go down to the water, and they meet Frank, who is a fly fishing expert, and his assistant, Steve, and they get into their two boats, and Frank and Steve row them out to uh, the best fishing holes, and they know exactly how to find the fish. And then Frank and Steve uh, get the lures onto the lines, and they show them where to cast, and then when they get a fish on their line. They help them bring it in, and they get it off the hook, and then they put the lure back on for them, and then later on, they clean the fish for them. So uh, the executives have a great time. Uh, they're not really there to be with Frank. They're there for a fishing adventure. They are fishing tourists, and they are very happy to have Frank and Steve do everything for them. That's Frank's job, is to do things for the tourists. Now, Steve um, is uh, his apprentice, Frank's apprentice. And uh, he has learned to do things the way Frank does them. So he ties the lures the way Frank does. He knows the fishing holes the way Frank does. He knows how to cast and to bring in the way Frank does. Steve is not particularly interested in having Frank do things for him. He'd like to do things with Frank because he has so much respect and admiration for him, he wants to be like Frank. Steve is Frank's apprentice, his follower. And when it comes to Jesus, there are tourists and followers. And no guilt, we've all been tourists. And in fact, there's a spectrum. You know, almost anything can be, uh, can be put on a bell curve, right? So bell curve... Tourists on this side, and then it goes up, and you have a big bunch of us somewhere in the middle, and then over here, you've got the followers that are just fully devoted followers of Jesus, 12 disciples, you know, everything, and we're, most of us are somewhere along this curve. Um, and the question is, um, are we tourists, where we really just, where we want things from Jesus, and you know, Jesus has a lot to offer. Are we, are we tourists who want his spiritual and eternal and emotional gifts and things? Uh, or are we followers who we have so much respect and admiration for him that we want to be like him? And uh, being a Jesus tourist, ah, we've all been that. Some of us still are. Some, all of us still are to some extent. And you know, it's, it's a thing. The disciples... They were oftentimes tourists. 
the, the, sometimes they were more tourists than follower. Tourism, uh, tourists bring their ingrained and instinctual patterns and behaviors with them wherever they travel. Um, and that's what I did when I went four-wheeling. I brought my two-wheel instinctual behavior with me. Uh, and, uh, but followers watch their leader and see what he or she does and seek to become more and more like them. Uh, and in other words, let me put it up again, because it might be, we, we will, we, I really want us to get this, we learn to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus so we can automatically do what he would do if he were us, if he were in our situation, if he were in our circumstance. Um, and so why is this important? Why, why are we talking about this now? Well, a couple reasons. Uh, the first, I think, is rather obvious, um, and that is that because this is a church. We're supposed to be like him, aren't we? I mean, is that what we're supposed to be like? But if anybody goes to church very much, I, I think you would agree, um, it doesn't always seem to be as big a goal uh, of, of followers of Jesus. Um, we aren't always, uh, it isn't, being like Jesus isn't always as common as we might think. Uh, and the second reason is vitally important, too, and that's that everyone responds better when Christians don't just talk about Jesus, but act like him. People don't want to just hear us talk about Jesus. They want us to love like Jesus, to care like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus. They want us to be like him. And there's a book called Irresistible, and the premise is Jesus was irresistible. But we're not. So what's the difference? It, and, and it's basically becoming more and more like him uh, because that message of God is irresistible. Uh, and next week, uh, you heard uh, we're starting a series uh, called uh, Becoming the People We Are Destined to Be. It's based on Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But those are characteristics of Jesus character traits of Jesus that he invites us all to have. And I just think, imagine a church filled with people full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. Oh my gosh, we couldn't, it would be awesome. Um, so, so here's the interesting thing. If the disciples started out as tourists and they worked their way to follower then we should be able to find a story or two in the Gospels that shows Jesus helping them transition, where, where they're acting like tourists, and he says, come on, fellas, let's try this. Now, I have looked through the Gospels. I find no reference to Jesus hitting any disciple with a stick. Um, although it's a very effective uh, tool, I will tell you. But I did find a text that I think is really interesting because um, it's familiar to some of us, uh, but for many of us, when we read it, we, are, we scratch our heads. It's like, I don't really understand what Jesus is doing here. And I don't really understand why he says to the disciples what he says. He seems a little harsh. He seems a little critical. And if you've ever uh, looked at this text or read, uh, Googled it or looked at um, sermons on it or commentaries on it, you will find that others don't really understand this text as well. Because uh, there is one that I have in the U version that you can pull up 
that is a fellow, and he says, there may be four reasons why Jesus does what he does. Or it might not be any of those. You know, we really don't know. And it's like, huh, shouldn't it be a little clearer than that? So what I think is, it becomes crystal clear when we look at it through the lens of tourist and follower, of uh, having to uh, work hard at something and, uh, consciously and then having it become an unconscious, automatic response the way Jesus would respond. And the text is um, Mark chapter 4, verses 37 to 40. And uh, as we read it, I, uh, as I read it, I want you to notice in this text that none of Jesus' disciples do what he did. None. Uh, and so uh, tourists, they, they all want him to do something for them. They would be very happy for Jesus to do things for them. So that's what tourists want. So tourists, 12, followers, zero in this text, all right? And, and uh, it says this, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern doing what? Sleeping on a cushion. That's what Jesus is doing. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Please do stuff for us. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, what's interesting about this is when you do read commentaries, um, they uh, sometimes say, Well, this is a text that is talking about Jesus' divine power and talking about his ability to, to calm the wind and the storm with just a word. And that's there, and that's important. But he moves on to talk about fear and faith, and I, I think that people get confused about this. And I, as I say, I wonder why Jesus critiqued his followers, his disciples, about being afraid and not having faith. I mean, who wouldn't be afraid in this situation? They literally think they're going to drown and die. We should give them some, a break about being afraid. We, wouldn't we all be afraid? And um, uh, that uh, faith, who wouldn't have their faith waver a little bit if they thought they were going to die in a storm? But what I think is that this is a teaching moment for Jesus. He's got them, he, he, he's got their attention, by the way, and so he's like, okay, I'm gonna, here's a little lesson for you guys. Um, and here's the thing. We can imagine that these disciples are doing everything they can to get out of this problem. So some of them, you know, at least several of them are fishermen. They've fished this Sea of Galilee. They've been in these storms. And some of them are rowing against the wind. And, and then they try to row with the wind. And then if they have sails, they, they put them up, and then they take them down, and others are bailing water. And they're, they're all doing everything they can. And then when they can't do anything else, when they're about to die, then what do they do? Then they go to Jesus. <laughs> That's, that, isn't that how we do it, too? We do everything humanly possible, ignoring Jesus in the middle of our uh, situation. And then when we can't possibly do anything else, and we're still in trouble, well, then we call on Jesus. So I, I think they're already starting at a disadvantage. And, um, but here's, what, here, here's something very important. What was Jesus doing? Sleeping in the boat. How many disciples were doing what Jesus was doing? None. Isn't that interesting? It, 
We are, we are to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, so that we can do what Jesus would do. What's Jesus doing? Sleeping in the boat. Not a single follower ever thought that was a good idea. They just said, well, we're just going to ignore him. Why are we talking about this? Because we're in transition as a church because we got a lot of things coming and I promise you we are going to do everything we can humanly possible to figure things out. And all I want to do is give us a little bit of advice. Let's look for what Jesus is doing. You know, let's see where, 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 what's Jesus doing and let's try to do that. It won't be easy. I kept putting my foot down, but eventually it, it will become a little bit of second nature for us. Um, and uh, the question for us is, what does it mean for us to sleep in the boat in the middle of our storms? Good question. Um, anyone besides me, by the way, maybe this, is, maybe this doesn't make any difference to anybody. Anybody besides me have life storms from time to time? Okay, so wouldn't it be great to know, well, what would it, since Jesus was sleeping in the boat, what would it look like for us to sleep in the boat? It means not to worry. It means to not take it upon ourselves to, to solve the problem, uh, to trust God with the outcome of our challenges. And I will tell you, it's hard. It is very hard to do. We, as, as much as I want to put my foot down, we want to try to solve our own problems. We have grown up with me, myself, and I, right? It's, 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 it's me against the world. And that was fine, as long as it was just us. But it's not just us. It's us and Jesus. It's us and the God of the universe. And we have all of that at power at our disposal. Let's figure out how to walk with him in the midst of the storm. So I had a storm, and everything inside me wanted to do something in the middle of the storm. And man, did I have some good ideas. Um, but here's what happened. I had preached this sermon on sleeping in the boat. And then during that week, this storm came up. And, uh, and, you know, I had people who were misjudging me and misunderstanding me. They were talking behind my back, but they weren't talking to me. I was getting worried that, that maybe it would um, impact my job and my ability and my reputation. I was a little afraid. I had all those things going on. And I had a prayer team that I prayed with regularly, and I went to them and told them about all of this. And, you know, I showed them my long email that, you know, was like all the data and, the, you know, copies of emails and quotes, and all of it was explaining why I did what I did and how I did it and why I was right and all of that. And, um, Luckily, before I said, would you pray for me? Because you know what we do. We do everything we can, and then we say, would you pray that God would bless what I'm doing? Um, and uh, they were smart enough not to let me get away with that. I said, what do you think about this? And my prayer team said, one of them, I think you ought to sleep in the boat. <sighs> you know how hard it is to defend yourself against somebody who's quoting your own sermon to you? She said, um, uh, she said uh, didn't you say that as followers of Jesus, we should do what he did? And then you said he was sleeping in the boat. He was trusting his heavenly father to take care of him in the middle of his challenge. 
He didn't take it upon himself to try to solve his problems. He trusted God with the outcome. I think you should try that. Really? Okay. Um, I'll be honest. It was hard. But I deleted the email, the long email. I didn't just save it to draft. In case I needed it later, I deleted the whole thing. And then I prayed, Jesus, please help me sleep in the boat alongside you. 30 minutes later, I wrote a shorter email. It was only a paragraph, and it wasn't to the same person, but it was to somebody else. And all I did was kind of, you know, explain that there were things going on, and I wondered if they, you know, would think about this or that or something else. And, and uh, really trying not to defend myself, but at least get the information out. And uh, as I went to hit send, a little voice in my head said, if you're asleep in the boat, how can you hit send? So I deleted that email. And then, almost unconsciously, I found myself texting. I'd created a text. It's just like putting your foot down. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm texting. And what I was texting was to another friend uh, and, who happened to be an elder and uh, who I said, uh, I, I just said, hey, you want to catch up? That's all I said. Because I figured, well, if he asked me about how things were going on in my life, you know, <laughs> I, we're supposed to be authentic and transparent. I would have to share. And that little voice said to me, if you're trusting God for the outcome, do you need to send the text? I deleted the text. And, and I, I prayed, Jesus, please help me sleep in the boat alongside you. And I got to tell you, doing nothing was the hardest thing I have ever done. Oh my gosh, I was like, I'm sleeping in the boat. I wasn't, uh, but, but you know, by faith I claimed it. Uh, you know, I'm sleeping in the boat, and, and all day, and by the evening, I went to bed, and I was like, I'm sleeping in the boat. I texted my prayer partner, and I said, I just want you to know, I'm sleeping in the boat with Jesus. Pray for me. And, and that's when the prayers got going. And I will tell you, in just a few days, the challenge was completely taken care of in a positive way. And the storm calmed and the seas relaxed. And I had nothing to do with it. I didn't do anything about it. But I had trusted God for it. And, I, and um, literally, my storm was calmed with no help from me. So when we find ourselves in life storms, uh, God's divine path for us may be to sleep in the boat with Jesus. Now, I want to immediately reply and say a little bit more and say, um, do not hear me say that if you are in harm's way, if, if you know somebody who's ill or in a dangerous situation, I am not saying don't do anything. That's not the right response, and, and we know that there are times. This is not the, the one rule. There's a lot of verses in the Bible. There's a lot of things Jesus does. This is one. What I am saying is if you are tempted to write that email, if you are tempted to take matters into your own hands and tell that family member or tell that boss or that employee or that new pastor, hey, we got to do something, and we got to do it right now, and I'm going to be the one to tell you how to do it. In cases like that, you might want to try sleeping in the boat. You might want to try saying, Lord, help me to sleep in the boat alongside you 
and see if you come through. Watch how you handle this. Because Jesus was able to trust God in the midst of the challenge. And he invites us to do the same. Um, I will tell you, sleeping in the boat is not instinctual. Uh, it is hard. Everything about it is, is not what we want to do. But as we, as, we, as we learn to be with Jesus, uh, we begin to become like him. And that's an important piece. Begin to become like him in order to be able to do what he would do. Here's what Christians usually do. We read in Scripture something Jesus did, and without becoming like him, we try to do that. I call that white-knuckling it. It's like, I'm going to do what Jesus did. Well, it's not going to help if you try to do it because of, on your own. You have to become like him where it becomes natural to do it. That's why loving and caring and forgiving and all of that, well, I have to love you. Well, I don't think that counts. Uh, you know, it's because we've become loving people, caring people, forgiving people who naturally do what Jesus would do. At first, we may need to grit our teeth, but we will become more and more able to become the people who do what Jesus automatically does. So this week, I have a homework assignment for you. I want you to think about a storm in your life, a current storm. Is there something uh, that, uh, that you anticipate that's coming up? Some, something that you say, I, I have got to deal with this. As soon as I get out of church, I've got to get back to this. And I, you know, whatever, this or that. Here, here's what I want to invite you to do. Think about all the options that you have. Think about them as versions of putting your foot down when you stop. And, and pray and say, Lord... What would sleeping in the boat alongside Jesus look like in this situation? What would sleeping in the boat alongside Jesus look like in this situation? And then, believe me, you need this prayer. Lord, please help me sleep in the boat alongside you.